BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The total values between your IRA and your brokerage account would grow to be $14,765,713. Wow. Hello, and welcome to Planancial's podcast, Future Rich. My name is Barbara Gitti, and I'm your host and also a CFP, which stands for a Certified Financial Planner for any of our new listeners. And I'd like to welcome our guest today, Erin. Hi, Erin. Hi. And I'd just like to mention that you're not my sister. <laughs> so, Erin, give us a little bit of information about yourself, um, where you're from, um, what you do for a living, how much you make, all that jazz. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited about this. Um, I'm 32 years old. I live in the Charlottesville, Virginia area. Um, I just graduated from the university with a PhD in mechanical engineering. And I currently work as an engineer in a part-time status at a research center in the area. Um, I make... So, I have to tell you that my jaw just fell down. So I just lifted it back up when you said PhD <laughs> in mechanical engineering. Oh my gosh, that's so impressive. Thank you. It's, um, it's been a journey uh, to get here. And it certainly hasn't been easy. Uh, but I just defended last Monday, actually. And um, I, I'm still feeling very thrilled about the accomplishment and getting used to, you know, having the title of doctor is, is really exciting. So, so thank you. I, yes, congrats. Uh, thanks. And engineering to me always seems very difficult. I don't for whatever reason. I have some engineers in my family, so I'm very impressed. Well, thank you. It's, I mean, it's, it's difficult, but it's, I think it's kind of the same, um, you know, it's, it's no different than what you're doing. Like, it's something that just speaks to me and, and resonates with me. And when I'm doing it, time stands still. And um, so it's, it's, it's got this sort of, 
nuance to it, like, oh, engineering's hard, but it's just, it's just something that, that, um, speaks to me and I really enjoy doing. And, um, I think that's, that's all we can hope to find in life. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you, so you literally just finished then. Yeah. So I, I just finished, um, I was a unique student in that I also have been employed, um, while pursuing this degree. And so I will just stay at my current job, um, now that I'm, I'm finished with graduate school. Now, um, did you pay for it as you went? Uh, my employer did. And so that was, uh, oh, that is music to my ears. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that certainly helped quite a bit for, uh, the financial picture. I don't have debt coming out of this program, um, which is huge, but that's, that's typically true for most, um, graduate school programs in STEM that the, the program will actually pay for your tuition and, and give you a small stipend. So that's, that's, another benefit of sort of STEM programs. That's fantastic. Okay. So you just finished and then are you going to go back to full time at your current company? Yeah. So um, my, my plan is to stay part time for the next year and, and just kind of reevaluate. I guess that's one of the questions I had for you um, being on the show is I, I wanted to look at our numbers and see if we could uh, talk about, how long um, I could stay at a part-time position based on how much I make and sort of feel comfortable based on my assets and debts and spending habits. Um, But I I just had, well, I guess I had a a baby about a year ago. And so I'm actually just really looking forward to staying at a part-time status and putting some energy and time into my family over the next year. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, okay. So there's so specifics. Yeah. So, so th- you're, so you're 32, you're married, you just had a baby. Mm-hmm. You've just finished your PhD. You're working part time. And then yes. what about fill me in on your husband? Yeah, so my husband, um, during the uh, uh, last year, he actually stepped away from his job to support our family and and support me in finishing up this degree. So he's been a homemaker and and the main caretaker of our kids, um, which was a huge sacrifice on on his end and um, has also come with a lot of changes that um, have have been really great. before that, he was a high income earner at a as a executive um, for a small company, and right. during that time, he and I were able to save quite a bit and pay down a lot of our debt, which put us into the position that we're currently in. That sort of allowed him to walk away from his job and and support the family, um, and as our situation currently stands we are able to live our lifestyle just on my part-time salary, um, which is, I think it's, it's a very uh, unique position to be in, but it's really nice because both of us have a lot of extra time now to, to just put into our family and ourselves. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, So I'm looking at a spreadsheet, which we, so let me, so you're making, um, with your part-time hours, which uh, is 20 hours a week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
your total gross is going to be just over 63,000 and so you're bringing in net on that monthly um 2687 yep yeah that, and then, that's net monthly net monthly okay and then your husband is bringing in he has unemployment currently correct yep he's currently on un- unemployment so uh he is contributing financially Right. And so his unemployment is uh, 2400 So then your total uh, net that you're bringing in is just over 5000 Yes. Perfect. So, and then how long is his unemployment? Do you know when his unemployment is going to end? So it's supposed to go until August, I believe. Um, but it, it also could be extended, extended. Sort of on the, the relief that comes through, but yeah, we're, we're kind of planning on it at least until August. Okay, perfect. Um, and then when we're looking at your monthly expenses, so, um, I'd also like to point out you paid off your mortgage already. Yeah, we, we paid off our mortgage, um, July, 2019, which was a huge goal that we had. Um, and we accomplished, um, yeah, I guess two years ago already. And so that that certainly has helped with um, how we can structure our lifestyle right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to ask, how much were you, what was your husband making before he stepped away from his career? Um, and then how much were you saving? Or did you have a target that you were saving in that time frame? Like, so yeah. Um, so he was making, salary was around Two hundred and fifty thousand, um, but getting pretty large bonuses um, contributed to that anywhere from um, fifty to a hundred thousand dollars, and so we would have these big influxes of cash that we would um, either put put towards the mortgage or invest, and we tried to sort of be mindful or strategic in in how we. Um, went about using that money. Um, and then I also contributed as well. Um, the, the way we, we broke it up based on like the percentage of the total of our income. Um, okay. So the, uh, the, the thought process there was we want to be, we want to equally be able to save sort of the same percentage of our income. Got, got so, it. Okay. Yeah, so percentage can be even um, if you're closer in salary. Because what were you making when you, or you've been in school for a long time? Were you part time for this? Yeah, part time. So I've basically been sort of at this $60,000 level for the last five years. years. Yeah. So then you just did a percentage so that he was doing a percentage of his income and you were doing a percentage of yours. Yep, exactly. So I think it, it broke up like he was bringing in like 85% of the income. And so um, we we basically broke up our, our uh, bills and also like our contributions to the mortgage and um, investment accounts that way. Okay. And, and then whatever was left in our personal accounts, we could choose what we wanted to do with that. And then, so you had to be putting a big chunk towards the mortgage and savings because I will, so yeah, it was, it it was quite a bit because, um, uh, he, 
he qualified for um, what, a veteran veteran loan. So uh, yes, we didn't have to put down any principal to buy the house initially. Is that the right yep. word I'm forgetting? Yep. Yeah, no, you didn't have to do a down. You had a very low down payment. So yeah, very, to, yeah, very low down payment. We didn't have to pay like the PMI. Um, yeah. And that was great. But after a few years of, of paying our mortgage, we looked at the statement and realized like, hey, we're, we're really not making any progress on paying down the the principal. You know, we've been paying on this for, for five, six years and it hasn't budged you know, and let's, let's see if we can start paying this thing down. Um, and so we, we started just actively putting large chunks, like on the order of like 50, $50,000, like I'd oh, say wow, $20,000 in. And then we also, we had, we thought about refinancing to a 15 year to try to get um, a yeah. lower interest rate, but we decided that the, the cost of the closing costs mm-hmm. were high enough that it didn't make sense and that instead we should just pay at a 15-year rate. Yep. And, yeah, without, exactly, without having to pay yeah. for the actual financing of it. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, if if we encountered a financial hardship, we wouldn't be locked to this 15-year contract. We could co- go back to the 30-year rate if we needed to. Um, yeah, and that is the exact reason why I tell people when they're first getting their home to do 30 years because you can always pay more and pay it off as soon as you'd like, but you're not locked mm-hmm. into it. God forbid something comes up. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't seem like you actually get that much with a lower interest rate. Like you don't with with a 15 year loan. There, there doesn't seem to be a big incentive um, really it, to get Yeah, it just depends on how much the rate will change. Like okay. I normally would think you would want to at least have at least one percentage point, maybe 1.25% difference. Okay. Um, and and it depends on the mortgage size, right? So that percentage sure. will make more of an impact on a larger mortgage than it will on a smaller mortgage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we got we got a little lucky. Um, we we bought the house in 2009, um, shortly after the housing crisis. And so um we were able to generate quite a bit of equity in the house, just owning it um, until now, since the housing markets rebounded back pretty tremendously. And so um, that, that part has been nice too. We didn't have to, we didn't take out a giant mortgage um, compared to had we bought the house today, for example. Got it. So that's fantastic. Okay. So we have literally no debt. I know you have a credit card on here, but do you just pay that off monthly? Yeah, that's yeah, just okay. something we we pay off monthly. But um, and and that was going to be where that is one of my questions for you is we have certainly been quite debt adverse. We're yeah, all <laughs> paying down our debts and not taking out loans, and even like our our car loans, um, we paid those off way ahead of schedule. I think there it's just a mental state for us, but. Um, I was curious to know your opinion on debt and is there such thing as good debt, um, particularly towards um, if interest in starting a company? Um, I know my my husband and I sort of have aspirations for that in the in the distant future, um, particularly once our, our son is a little bit older and doesn't need the, the consistent care. Um, 
you know, and, and we don't necessarily know how we would, how, what would be the best way to take on debt to, to do such a thing? I think, I think that's a great question because a lot of people always talk about good debt and bad debt. And so here's where I would say, so I would say good debt, high level is a mortgage, right? Especially with a low interest rate because you're building equity, you're no longer renting. And as long as that mortgage makes sense for you. So I want to um, put the disclaimer on it because I've definitely told people that they're not ready to buy a home. You okay. Know, they just aren't financially secure enough to buy a home, you know, putting the money on for whatever they need for the down payment. God forbid there was a major expense. I think we've, I talked about a lot on the podcast. I bought a home, Natasha bought a home, Potter bought a home, and we all had major issues come up. Sure. Um, and it's not always the right debt for somebody. So what I would say, if I had to broad, do a generalization, I would say mortgage is a good debt with the disclaimer. It's not the, a good debt for everybody. It can be a bad debt for some people. And then I would almost say about the same thing with student loans. You know, if you have a little bit of student loan and it's manageable and you're surviving with it, then that's fine. It helped you get an education. I think education is important. Um, but on the flip side, you can see somebody who's drowning in student loan debt, right? So then- sure that obviously is not a good debt for them. It's preventing them from achieving other financial steps in their life. But I would say if I had to rank them broadly, I would say good debt would be first a mortgage. And then second would be, I would say a small manageable amount of student loan debt. Um, Although I love the way that you did it. I would always prefer to come out of school with like little to no debt would be my preference. Um, And I don't like people that go, I don't like taking out loans to do a career change if it's something you think you can do with networking or starting sure. over. Like I would yep. rather have you take a salary cut than have no income for two years and take out 150000 in debt. Um, yeah, I totally agree with that. I I mean, so um, my all- my parents- Oh, go ahead. Oh, so I was just going to say, my my parents like gave me this huge gift of they, they paid for my undergraduate um, degree, which I used to be super embarrassed telling people that because it was like, oh, look at this like silver spoon. Um, but I've come to realize just what a huge gift and advantage that gave me in the long run to um, come out of an undergraduate education with no debt. And it gave me just a, a tremendous amount of flexibility to um, choose a career and also choose to continue going to school if I wanted to. Um, and especially yeah, now that, that I have a, a child, I'm, I very much wa- like not necessarily want to pay for their, uh, their full college tuition. Um, but I, I understand the difference now between like starting at zero versus yep. starting at negative yeah. Five and yeah, um, it makes a big difference. Yeah, and and especially when it comes to saving money and how that money grows over time. Like if you can, if you can save earlier and younger, you're yep. gonna just catapult yourself um, in life. And suddenly, retirement doesn't have to be this thing that you're looking at when you're 65 years old. It's it's something that you can achieve sooner and you can also just have some more freedom. It gives you a lot more freedom. So like the choice to stay home and work part-time or your husband not to work, it gives you a lot of freedom because you basically front loaded your savings, which I ran a projection, which I've never done on the podcast before, but we'll get into that. But um, the compounding of interest part is 
incredible, right? Like it's a little bit unbelievable when when interest or earnings are working for you versus against you. And mm-hmm. so the only time I like debt is when you've used it as leverage. So for instance, you know, having a mortgage rate of two and a half percent, that's good debt. And then you're investing the difference in the market where maybe you're making seven, you're up 5%, right? So like, mm-hmm. I always like to look at debt that way. Like, what is it helping you achieve? And is it freeing you up to do other things? So broadly, there is good debt and bad debt. I would say having, being debt averse, there's nothing wrong with that, right? So and I think what you and your husband are doing, having no debt, is an advantage because um, one thing I talk about with people who want to do, you know, participate in fire, is yep. negating housing cost is something I talk about a lot because it's usually one of the big monthly expenses in addition to insurance, right? Health insurance and, and housing costs usually are the big ticket items. Sure. Um, and any other debt, right? So like student loan payment, and those can usually be prohibitive to having that financial freedom. So you having a zero on that is fantastic because you paid it off. Like we had someone else come on and they had a tenant and the tenant negated their housing costs, right? So that- Yeah, yeah that's great. So other ways to do it. But so this is fantastic because then when we're looking at your monthly budget, you need a prop because we have no mortgage, you need approximately uh, 3,000 for- all expenses, including health insurance, which I will point out is is your biggest monthly expense. Yeah, I think uh, health insurance and groceries come in as as our most expensive items. Which I was, I have to say, um, a, a previous guest on your show mentioned she had a grocery budget of thirty dollars, and I and it made me really rethink. <laughs> my my grocery yes. hour grocery budget. I'm sorry, you are right. Groceries and health insurance. Your groceries are yeah, seven hundred, and then yes. almost six hundred for health insurance. Costco, Barbara, like <laughs> they just suck you in, and it's so hard to not spend that kind of money. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is good to know because I will tell you, doing the podcast when I, I forget who it was who had thirty dollars, and I remember it being like thirty dollars. So I now like really like really count. Because I feel like you have this thing called lifestyle creep, right? And I think we're all oh yeah can, ha- can happen to all of us. And so I definitely, you know, I now that I'm not living in New York City anymore, go to the grocery store, and I literally bought so much seltzer the other day. I was so proud of myself because <laughs> seltzer is a luxury that you don't have when you live in New York City. I like I don't know anybody that's like yeah I'm gonna buy a 24 pack of seltzer and carry it up six flights of stairs, <laughs> and then not get any food. You know, like you just. I never got seltzer and I wasn't going to pay for seltzer. I one time got seltzer out. I wasn't drinking. I went to the bar and ordered a seltzer and I was like, never doing that again. I'm not paying $5 for a seltzer at a bar. Um, That is something I had never considered. (laughs) Oh yeah. This is like a big thing. I had some friends over who are from New York and my boyfriend is not from, never lived in New York. And he was like looking at me like I was a crazy person. He was like, I can't believe like this is so exciting to you. And I was like, yeah, I got ginger seltzer, lime seltzer, cucumber seltzer. I bought like, Anyway, the point was I spent so much on seltzer because I was just like, oh, my God, I have a grocery car. I can fill this whole thing up. And so living in New York City, I was beholden to like I could only buy what I could carry. Yeah, it keeps your budget low because like I literally can only carry this much food. So like that's all I'm buying where now I can fill up a whole grocery cart. And so I have gone a little overboard with spending sure. oh you you are so right about lifestyle creep like I think that that might be the the biggest thing to try to be aware of when it comes yes. to 
like being a financially sound person. I, I remember my husband and I back when he was um, working and bringing in quite a bit of money, we thought we're like, oh, maybe we'll join this elite country club that was had these huge um, initiation costs, something like five grand just to like, just to let you, let you in the door. Yeah, for a membership. And then it was a thousand bucks a month for the membership. But it also came with like a minimum. You also had to spend a thousand dollars on food. And we actually considered that. Like, I just think he and I, we laugh about it now, but we're just like that lifestyle creep. You think like, oh, these trends are going to continue forever. And why not? Like, I would love to be a part of this club where we can play indoor tennis and golf. And (laughs) like, we just, we, we laugh so hard that we even considered that. Yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. And I think it comes down to um, that perspective of, do I want the financial freedom or do I want to keep increasing my spending to match mm-hmm. my income? And yes. it, you obviously, you and your husband made a choice to save all your money. So I will say that including your primary residence, which is fully paid off, you have saved over $2 million. Yes. Which is yep. very impressive. And so we'll just give the numbers, which I think are a little breathtaking in a good way. Um, so compounding of interest, as I, I pointed out, is a pretty incredible thing. And so for all the sacrifices that you made, um, you know, not joining the country club, saving a tremendous amount of your income, um, paying down your mortgage in huge chunks. So if we were to take, um, let me just make sure I have the ages right here. So you're 32, which I put in. So I just used your age and I took the total and I excluded the 529 and the property, right? Because uh, okay. the property you're going to live in, so it doesn't feed you, if you will, right? You can't pull money out of it per se because you always want to have a roof over your head. So I just took that out of the equation and I took the 529 out of the, out of the equation as well. I know you have money saved for that because okay. ideally that's your mark to be spent, right? It's not going it, to, you shouldn't be using it for your day to day or retirement. Um, So I just used um, your brokerage and your IRA. And we'll talk about the cash in a minute, but just to give you perspective. So if that was earning um, between now and age 65, 7%, uh, the total values between your IRA and your brokerage account would grow to be $14,765,713. Wow. Wow. That's as long as you don't touch it, and as long as it earns an average of seven uh, percent, you know, consistently seven percent a year. So that has to be the disclaimer, right? Understood. Yeah, yeah. which which seems to be like a, a pretty fair amount. So that, yeah, that's the, that's incredible. The uh, my I have to give credit to my dad on this one. Like he always told me, he was like, "The force of compound interest is is the strongest force in the world." Like it is a, the strongest force in the world. Like that's that's just incredible to think that two million dollars could turn into fourteen million dollars. Um, yeah, it's a pretty doing anything. Yeah, without doing anything. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible. Yeah, compounding of interest is incredible. Um, and that's if you're earning the, you know, a fixed return of 7% a year. Okay. Yeah, every year if you just make 7%. Okay. Yeah, so I guess that that really helps to answer the question of, you know, how long could 
could we sustain this current system of uh, me only working part-time? Um, you know, it, it, that really makes me feel quite confident that um, this is a sustainable path for us for really as long as we wanted it to be, unless we made some major financial changes. So, so that's what I was going to say. I think the key here for you and your, and your family is that right now the unemployment is helping, right? Because that bridges the gap between what you're bringing in net and what uh, your total um, monthly costs are, the 3000 But mm-hmm. I do think that if you want it to, you could probably get your monthly expenses down to match your net, you know, without taking, yeah. you know, if it once the unemployment goes away. Um, the other option is to say, maybe pull some money out of you because you have over 800,000 in just a regular investment account. You could mm-hmm. always pull out some money from there. And that would just mean you would have less money in retirement. But that's, I think, seemingly fine. It seems like you have plenty of money. You know, with compounding of interest, your investments will grow and be a very comfortable amount. So you could always take a little from the brokerage. Or the other option is you have, we're just going to round up 70,000 in cash. You know, if you pulled the difference from there, which is basically you just need an additional 500 a month, right? Mm-hmm. Once his unemployment goes away, just to match expenses to, you know, um, income. Yeah. yeah. So what, what are your thoughts on a cash position? Like, like do you kind of have a suggestion on how much cash people should be keeping on hand? I think so. Here's the thing. So I would say when you have dependents, right, you have a young, young child, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say I like six to 12 months. I have never. I feel like I'm a, a very conservative person when it comes to cash because it prevents problems. It, it also gives you opportunity, right? So if we were to have another March, you could really take 30,000 out and put it in the market, right? And then have right. like a huge return because you're buying in the dip. Um where if you just had your bare minimum of an emergency fund, you don't have that opportunity. Right. Yeah, that's um, that's been an ongoing discussion in, in our house just because, so we have about a year's worth of expenses and cash set aside. And just because of my mentality that I have of just like save, 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 I always feel like I want more in cash. Um, but then of course that's missing out on growth. And so we're always adjusting with more and less really like any given year. But I will say March 2020 was a really good litmus test for our strategy um, because right, our, our accounts pretty much halved. <laughs> like we saw that yeah, yeah. 2 million go to 1 million overnight. Um, and to be honest, Barbara, like we didn't lose any sleep over it because I mean, a big part of it was the house is paid off and we have a year's worth of cash. Like we're going to be okay. We can, we can ride this out for a year at least and reassess. And, you know, I, I just remember speaking to other people who were losing sleep. They were super stressed out and why, why wouldn't they be? But it was a really sort of good litmus test for our strategy because we recognized what happened, but we were just like, Hey, this is okay. Like we're prepared for this. We're, we're prepared for it. That And that is why I always like the cash because when you do sleep over it and there is that emotional reaction to the market, because that's really what it mm-hmm. is, right? It's your emotions taking over. 
And then you make a poor decision because you're having a, you're making, you're reacting to the market rather than being proactive. And that's usually the difference with whether or not you're going to be successful in the market or whether or not you're going to not be successful in the market or cost yourself money is another way to look at it. Right. Right. I will say though, I, it's, I didn't have the guts to like buy at the dip though. I wish. <laughs> that's something you can, that is something that you can work up to. And I will tell you, um, I bought at the dip, which I might, and you know, and I didn't know how long the dip was going to last and I have payroll obligations and I have a business that's loan. Um, and I took a lot out of my emergency fund because I always keep extra cash for opportunities. And I bought at the dip and I just in my head was like, God, I hope this isn't like a two-year dip because I have a lot of payroll. <laughs> Good for um, you. That's, but that's it, awesome. it's still unnerving, right? Like I know that that was the right thing to do in theory, right? Like, but w- when, mm-hmm. you know, you're taking money out of your emergency fund and you're putting it into the market, which the TV is telling you, you know, basically the world is ending. It's still an unnerving thing to do. So, oh, absolutely. Well, and especially after, I don't know, 10 years of a bull market where it was just going up and up. And um, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't had the opportunity to go through something like this. I really, um, my, my, I and my husband also, you know, we weren't invested. We didn't go through the the 2008 crash okay. as heavily invested as we are now. And so this was our first experience of dealing with something like that. And we've read plenty of books about it. We've talked about it. We have our strategies. But it's like when it actually comes to putting money where your mouth is, that's actually a totally <laughs> different a, thing. And that's why... We need to be like <laughs> to be like, hey, like Don't it's gonna be okay. It. This yeah. is what you're gonna do. Yeah. Yeah. My dad always called um our role during those time frames as the guardrail. Like you can drive over the guardrail, but we are there to try and keep you in the lane. <laughs> like, yes. If you accelerate <laughs> enough, you'll go right through the guardrail or over it, but we are there to try and keep you in your lane. So yeah, what you did was right. And the fact that you didn't lose sleep means that you're in a comfortable position. And so I think what you have in cash, here's here's my, my two thoughts. I think what you have in cash is good because unemployment, we don't know where that's going to be. And you can always pull the extra 500 or 1,000 from there. And that will still leave you with a comfortable emergency fund. Uh, second off, um, depending on how in the future the starting the company is, that also gives you more bandwidth for starting the company. Okay. I like so that. I wouldn't think of it as much as, you know, it's not earning as much, absolutely, but it's also going to give you more optionality in the future. And as long as you leave the brokerage and IRA alone, as we talked about with, you know, it's, you know, seven, I'm using a software, so it might be 7.2%, 7%, 7.2%, somewhere in there. You'll have plenty if you just don't touch that for retirement. So okay. I would use the cash to kind of keep the moat around the brokerage and the IRA to keep those cooking. And so I wouldn't invest the money, even though it would be nice to, I'm sure, have it make more. I think it'll give you that flexibility for when the unemployment ends and then flexibility to start a business because starting a business is hard and it never um, goes on the timeline that you really set. And it usually costs more than you think. And I think the fantastic thing, I think you've set yourself up really nicely to start a business is if you can kind of keep cruising along with your part-time income um, and we're meeting all of your expenses, you could work on starting that business now and not, you know, be gritty about it. 
and scrappy. So you're not spending a ton. Okay. You can start working on getting it up and running. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, I, I have a million questions for you, like regarding that aspect of it, but I don't necessarily think we want to go down the rabbit, rabbit hole for this podcast. But yes, I, I will answer those questions for you. But yeah, let's keep with your. So, okay. So I answered, I think you can do the part-time salary for a very long time. I think it's all about your living expenses, right? So as long as you guys are comfortable now, I think you can keep cruising along on this for quite a bit. Even if you spent down the entire emergency fund, um, I think you have about 10 years where you could supplement it. That's great. That's that's great to hear. That certainly is our intent. Um but uh, it's it's good to have you look at the numbers and and reassure us. Yeah, so I guess what I would do in my head is I would, when the unemployment ends, um, I would supplement from the cash. That will allow the brokerage account to continue to grow, probably get closer to 900000 And then you could always pull a little bit from there. Because um, if that's making okay. 7% a year at 900000 that's 63000 So you could pull 5000 from that. Okay. And then rather than deplete the cash. That's kind of where I would see how the brokerage account's doing, see what the gains are in it, and start with the cash. And then you could always pull a little bit from the brokerage account. So, But I do think you could okay. do this for a very, very long time, if not, I don't want to say forever, because things change Definitely. in the future. But I don't want to say indefinitely, and then you come back on in five years and say, oh my gosh. Um, but I do think you could do it for quite a long time and be very comfortable Good. Well, I, I appreciate you, you helping me like figure out a good drawdown strategy. I think that's that's the hardest part uh, for me right now is making the mental transition from saving, saving, saving to now, okay, we've saved enough. Let's start dipping into it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's guess scary. It's it is scary. Um, and so what, you know, here's what I would do. I would absolutely never touch the IRA and let that just keep cooking. Cause let me just look at the projection. If we just use the IRA, um, it should about cut it in half, right? Cause they're almost fairly even. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Do, do, do. You should be about, it's not going to do all the way out to 65 at 62, you'd have 5.6 million. So it makes a pretty big difference from retirement just because the brokerage account is more. Right. Um, but still 5.6 million. Yeah. I mean, according to like the, the fire calculation that they have you do, I think my husband and I identified like 3 million as our number. Okay. So then you're fine. We you would achieve the, the fire goal. So that's, that's a good number. Yeah. So then, so then you're, you're there. Yeah. And I think, and it's, oh, no one's ever said to me, oh, I've had too I've never had anyone say I've saved too much for retirement or I have too much in my emergency fund. Like I've never, sure. so <laughs> You know, I think the key is what you pointed out, which is to be able to survive the ups and downs of the market where it doesn't cause unnecessary stress, like where you could still sleep at night. Because over the course of this time frame, like over like let's say in the next ten years, the market will go down again. It's like it's not mm-hmm. an if, it's it's a when. We just don't know the when. And so the way you have it set up where you're diversified and you have the cash and you have little, you know, no debt, low budget, I think will make everything feel more comfortable. Yeah. Well, I, I I like that that you say that because that's 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 what we say as well. It's like it's not an if, it's a when, and yeah. understanding that how are we going to what's our investment strategy? And um, I I think we've proven to ourselves that that we're happy with with it. 
yeah, I mean, I think you've done a fantastic job. Well, thank you. I, I, I mean, it, it certainly helps listening to, to podcasts like this and, and having, having you as a resource. It's, it's been really useful. Um, oh, I, I wanted to just like note too that, you know, so since my husband is, um, taking care of the family and, and now I'm the main source of income, we've gone through this dynamic where like the, the, picture the financial picture has changed right so it was he was sort of contributing to the majority of the bills and uh costs of living for our family and now i am and so this i guess this just happened um you know within the within the year but we actually made it official like last week and it's it's just been a very um humbling experience how is it how does it feel to be the breadwinner? Yeah, I mean, it feels good, but it's also been a little challenging because I I went from, you know, putting, you know, 700 bucks a month into our, our, our joint account for expenses to now, you know, a, a full paycheck. And, um, you know, he was essentially doing the same thing, but it when, when he was bringing in the majority of the income and I, I certainly kind of like took that for granted. I was like, Oh, you're making all kinds of money. You, you know, you're, (laughs) you're, you're comfortable here. And, um, I'm just glad that like, we're both very sort of happy to talk finances and like financially savvy people. And we made this agreement sort of early on in our marriage of just like, Hey, this is what we think fair is. And, it it certainly was a test to me once the dynamic switched of just like all right are you going to are you going to are you going to stick to what we decided you know 5 years ago back when back when you were the the sort of or at least not the heavy and an <laughs> income in the relationship and it was definitely hard for me where i was like oh man this is a different feeling um but now I can understand like what he sort of went through and and I, I do have like a new perspective now when I listen to other guests sort of talk about their dynamic and their in their partnerships um, where, you know, you have to do what's what feels fair. Um, but I think yeah. it's always good to like remember, like, remember it, it might switch someday. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it's great that you talked about it years ago and now you're putting it into practice, which just like the market with investing, it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like the numbers make sense on paper, but then when it actually comes time to like make that transaction from your bank account, there's a lot of emotion that goes with that. And so it's, it's good to just recognize it and say, okay, this is, I feel some way about it, but this is what we decided on and it's going to work and let's just stick to it. Yeah. And it's, and I mean, it's working. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Which is fantastic. So did uh, I answer all your questions? Yes. You were also on this spreadsheet for the listeners. I'm looking at a list of questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did. I, um, I really appreciate you taking the time, Barbara, to just go through this with me and, and provide your insight. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to check back in with you and see what ends up happening with if you start a, a business or you just keep with the fire lifestyle. So absolutely. We'll, have to, we'll have to do a check-in. 
Um, That would be great. So I will wrap it up for our lovely listeners. Uh, Erin, thank you for coming on. And for all of our listeners, the best place to uh, reach out to us or find out what's going on with the podcast and the online classes is on Instagram at Future Rich Podcast. And then you can check us out online for our online classes, which are in partnership with SUNY Ulster at our new website, www.futurerichpodcast.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.